Are you attending Shop Talk? If you are, I hope that you're ready for the AI-driven future of commerce. If not, you can get ready by joining us and our friends from IM Digital, a leading retail experience agency, to learn about the future of commerce. You can join their March 18th event taking place at Shop Talk exclusively with your invite from Future Commerce. Find out more today at events.imdigital.com. Today on Visions. I would imagine the best opportunity to have a unique, non-homogenous experience would be at the top of the funnel. Awareness and discovery, that stage. Because once you get to a checkout experience, a fulfillment experience, a returns experience, you want that to be seamless and familiar and follow a path that I'm used to. So I think that that, you know, that discovery an awareness stage of, of the funnel is where there's a real opportunity to be different. Welcome to Visions. Visions is an annual audiovisual trends report that covers the changes in culture and commerce. This series is meant to be a companion guide to our 100 page report. Download and follow along at visions.report. Episode 7, The Homogenization of Experiences. Hi, I'm Philip. Why has the web become so boring and homogenous? That is the question that we ask as we go live today to the Vision Summit in West Palm Beach, Florida, with commerce brand, and retail leaders to find out why the web has become so boring and how brands are becoming much more experimental in an effort to stand out from the crowd. We are joined by Kiri Masters, and Kiri is no stranger to creating shoppable experiences online. Kiri is the author of Amazon for CMOs and Instacart for CMOs. She is the co-host of the Infinite Shelf podcast and a vaunted ad age 40 under 40 honoree. Kiri Masters has built and managed marketplace strategy for some of the world's most recognizable brands. Today, Kiri leads a discussion at the Vision Summit, asking why the web has become much more homogenous and how forward-thinking brands can break the mold. Hello, welcome to Visions by Future Commerce. So the first question, do you believe your car, phone or shoes are an outward sign of your personality? I think to some extent, yes, it's, it's, and it's conscious. Roger Figueredo, VP of Marketing for Hashtag Paid. I think when we purchase products, we have the, uh, some of it happens subconsciously and we purchase products that we have an affinity towards or that we want to become their aspirational. I think that's not new to, to, to anyone. So I think the answer is yes. And I think at some level it happens subconsciously. We desire and we aspire to be someone. And, you know, we believe the message that marketers tell us that that'll help us become that person. And so we purchase those products. Uh, sometimes we do it. I think it's, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's done a little bit more overtly. And I think there's more processing that goes into it. Mental processing where we consciously and uh, we're intentional about that product because it's going to send a particular message. Um, and so I would say yes. Well, for, for me, it's, it's um, I think personally, it's not 
such a thing. Ben Marks, Director of Global Market Development at Shopware. I mean, that's really more about the utility of, of, of the thing. Now, I'll see something like my, you know, my, my best friend has admittedly better taste um, than, than I do in, in clothes and things. And so I might see what he's wearing and kind of take a cue from it. But mostly I just want things to be functional. My car, phone, and shoes, I'm probably more on the utility side there. Um, there's, there's other ways that I would display my personality, I think, um, besides those things. Yeah. More clothing. Although I will say the, the new Cadillac Escalade, I mean, I don't have a need. I don't even have a need. Of, I don't have a car myself, but, man, that does look pretty good. I might actually. So you don't have a car? I don't have a car person. My wife, my, well, my wife and I split, a, split, split use of the car, but mostly mostly it's, it's hers to drive around. Okay. The new styling, I actually really appreciate the fact that whole styling, but I also recognize, like, you roll up in a caddy. I mean, this was like a whole Jerry Seinfeld like episode of you know he 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 bought his dad a caddy and it ruined him ruined his dad's reputation in the neighborhood because everyone thought he oh he's he's big big shot and rich and everything now, so I actually kind of actively would want to avoid putting that off. Kind of weird. I don't really think about this. Here's a question riffing off of this one because both of you I think lean towards utility. Do you think that? Um, no, that I think your answers were very personal in, in, in your personal experience. Would you say that uh, the consumers in general or more broadly would would look at utility as the primary reason for a purchase or do you think they would uh, maybe have other motivations? I use Amazon because I know like, hey, I just want something. I don't care about the relationship. I don't want to get to know it. But like my uh, swim trunks I have because I live at the beach. They're very specific and they got me on Facebook and they got me in part because, well, I knew they had some functional aspects that were that were nice. But also their whole brand is like, hey, we, we take bo- we plastic bottles out of the sea and we make these great shorts out of them. So it really depends on on the customer's journey and, the, and, and if it's the kind of product that a, a customer might have a relationship with. That sounds like a really personal purchase for you, as opposed to some of these utility items that you'd be buying on Amazon that are, you know, replenishing household supplies and things like that. So there is there are some items, and maybe it's different person to person what that, you know, what that category of items are. But something that really reflect you find is a personal choice for you. For some people, it might be. It might be the food that they eat, that they're vegan, they're keto, and that's a reflection of a lifestyle choice but also a big part of their personhood. I think it's about standing out. It's about attention, footprint, distraction. And, you know, in this industry we've watched, we've gone from, like literally grown up from no, like, broad way for one person to connect to so many people so arbitrarily. And of course, now we have that and brands have figured it out. The communication, like the social media platforms have figured it out. So brands are trying to be big and bold. Attention is a finite resource, but then in general, in society, it's probably not that good if the only way to be heard is to scream and yell. We've, we've seen, we've seen this, this approach um, in, in the U.S. political scene, I think, here recently. So we have to figure that out. But I would say that's the reason. 
people are trying to stand out. They're trying to be different. And I, I think that's, that's the reason on my end. I, I would say there's very few of them. I find a lot of the websites I go to, they tend to be more homogenous. Than, yep. <laughs> I find they don't stand right. out. I, I think they're trying to solve that problem, the homogenization problem. They're trying to avoid sort of uh, falling in line with all the other brands. Yeah. I think that's yeah. probably like the rise of Headless and everything. But I'm kind of, kind of curious because you've owned an agency and you've, you, know, you specialize in, in marketplaces. Like what have you seen in this space? With marketplaces – it's template driven. And so there's pretty specific rails that you have to build on with marketplaces, certain types of content. You can't use keywords like you can't sell CBD products on Amazon. So if you've got that in your product description, it's going to get suspended. So that's, if anything, when you go to Amazon, you're expecting a homogenous experience. You're expecting certain types of content to be delivered in a specific way and that's part of the attraction is for it to be this really intuitive, uh, familiar experience. So I'd sort of put that to the side um, and think about D2C sites and retailer sites as having a lot more scope for variation and a different experience. I'm going to cheat a little bit and refer to the, um, the Visions report, which shares an anecdote from their consumer study they swapped out the, they got rid of the brand from two websites, two D2C sites, and asked the consumers to tell which brand is this. And that they couldn't tell which one's more premium, which one's a more premium brand, which one is not. And the point was no one could tell a the difference. They just looked kind of the same, felt kind of the same. Um, and that's, that's really what we're talking about here is this, you know, like you said, Ben, <coughs> brands wanting to elevate themselves from this like same, same kind of experience that we're seeing. When you go to a real store and you walk in, you expect it to function, (laughs) you expect (laughs) it to work and function in a certain way. And so you expect to go in, choose your stuff and eventually pay. There's a flow that you're expecting. And so some of the issues that I'm seeing with some of the websites are that they're difficult to navigate. And so if I have to burn calories, if I have to get my brain thinking about what, how do I get something into the cart? How do I find the product I'm looking for? How do I check out? That makes it very, very difficult. So my encouragement to any brands who are listening is you, you need, there needs to be a, a balance between solving the homogenization issue and, so, you know, solving the problem of differentiation or distinction and, and, and still being able to be intuitive, still being able to get your consumer to do the flow without burning, you know, or burning the least amount of calories possible, I right. would say. So uh, just a, a side comment maybe on, on, on the topic of crazy websites. So different, but familiar. It's tough because if you're having to shout, like shouting is inherently sort of not inviting, right? So it's really, it's it's tough to stand out, but not stand out so far that you're doing something unintuitive. I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting in this business and from the platform's perspective, because I've been working for platforms companies for you know, 12 years. Um, um, the, this whole idea that we, we, we've just taken the, 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 the model of a physical store and this is what basically every platform does. You have, you have uh, categories that resemble aisles. You have, you know, you, you, you put the product in display, but then you add things to a cart and then you, you check out. I mean, this is, this is a very like physical model like my the, the the mind model of the online experience is very similar to walking around a store now what we're seeing right now is a little like a, a bit of an insidious change because 
you know, I don't make all of my purchases um, through uh, through a through a website. Mm. You know, I I make my purchases a lot of the purchases that I have now that I where I at least have a some kind of brand experience. Uh, actually, like those those uh, board shorts I mentioned. Yeah, they caught me right in my my Facebook feed, and and if I remember correctly, like the the whole checkout experience, it was like right in there. Uh, so you are starting to see brands, you know, reaching out. Um, f- finding the consumer where they are, and then we're getting co- entirely away from the website experience. And then I think we're going to see the rise of a more hybrid model where you decide, okay, this is a product that we're going to use to attract this person, uh, this potential customer. But we're going to actually sometimes we're going to want them to check out right there in the flow. Sometimes we're going to want to actually want to upsell or cross sell. Um, and so we'll get them over to our site. And I think you're, you're going to start to see a blend of like some of that capability coming into into social media streams. And you're going to see platforms start to to accommodate, you know, the understanding that that, that sometimes they're going to enter a customer into a checkout flow. But that checkout flow won't have begun on, you know, in the uh, in the actual store. They didn't enter via the store. They came in via social channel and then like clicked over through it. So we'll see, we'll mm-hmm. see that we'll see that blend continue to happen. As brands expand their voices in different channels, do you believe that e-commerce experiences should follow suit? Again, you just talked about your board shorts and how you checked out on Facebook, which is a platform that is to a certain extent out of the control of that brand. And so uh, that just feeds into the homogenization of brands because now my checkout process, it's nearly impossible for me to differentiate in that um, in that flow. And so, um, should your experience, um, should you try to provide unique, unique experiences on every channel that you're present? Absolutely. But, uh, we need to be conscious that there's, you can only do that (laughs) to a certain extent. Some things are out of our control. zoom out from just the checkout experience like what was that experience you checked out on Facebook but beyond that there's also the fulfillment experience the unboxing experience like the try on the returns and things like that so was that that sounds less homogenized that was well that was I mean I'd say probably honestly I don't I don't think I've ever like, really excitedly unboxed anything, but um, I mean, but you know, that's just me. I know, I know there's a whole, like, there's like basically a whole space in this industry and people have made very, very successful careers mm. doing this. Um, but, but why yeah. were you excited? Well, I was excited because it was the first pair of like not $6 Walmart swimsuit chunks that I've ever had in my life. They dry fast. They're super, super comfy, and they actually look pretty good. So I was pretty happy to have this kind of like a slightly more premium experience, you know, while I'm out, you know, rolling around in the sand and the surf at home. So, uh, and I think, you know, I did get, you know, did get the kind of the the shipping notification. So I think there was a, there was the standard like standard commerce experience that I think is important and that people come to expect. Uh, so all of that was all of that was normal. And then I think I maybe bought one thing uh, like a, just a tool off of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit more rough around the edges. It was actually clear that this product itself was being like handmade uh, by someone who is just trying to ramp up. Mm-hmm. So this is a pretty aspirational merchant, I think. And then, and then the, yeah, the, the fulfillment, everything was co- sort of like shows up, shows up with like in the USPS. And I don't think I ever got like a, tr- a tracking notification or anything. Mm. I'll share one example. It's actually more on the retailer side and it's about Instacart. 
So now Instacart has become the intermediary between retailers and shoppers. And a lot of there's there was a, a study by Barclays um, that there's only two there's only there was only two grocers that a, a shopper would leave the Instacart app for, and that was Sprouts. Wegmans I think no Sprouts and Costco I think it was Interesting. so now Instacart is sort of like the 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 platform and certainly during the pandemic was was a go-to platform and and shoppers have an affiliation and loyalty to 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 Instacart rather than a retailer and I think that that's what retailers the traditional especially grocery retailers are struggling with is mega homogeneity homogenization because that people aren't people for a period of time weren't really even going into the stores anymore and so how do you actually how do you separate out your grocery retail brand from anyone else well look at the value there's a lot more value in them having you know sort of first party access to the customers and customers data i mean that's why do these loyalty programs exist i mean that I, i don't know how much that that makes up their bottom line but also just informing them of like, you know, how they merchandise in store and, you know, what products they should be getting. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good point. From the Visions Report 2022. But for all of its power, e-commerce has become boring and homogenous. Samey, samey. Decision fatigue begets a sort of prefix menu for buying things online that has led to everything looking and feeling identical. Brands have now done to consumers what they have done to themselves. By eliminating the paradox of choice, they have replaced it with utterly no choice at all. Rather than the wild, wild west of the early aughts, the web today has become the mild, mild west. From the Visions Report. So we've talked a lot about the checkout flow and and uh, you brought up that there's other channels and that you can differentiate uh, across the flow. If if I'm a brand and I'm starting off and I have limited resources, what channels have you seen to be the most effective or what channels should I be prioritizing uh, in terms of my differentiation? Where should I be putting the most effort, concentrating my focus if I have limited resources? It has to be different brand to brand. I mean, some brands have been built entirely on social, right? And so honestly, they're, they're their own you know, brand web property is probably much less important or maybe only important for like the, the, the follow-up experience mm-hmm. um, to, to your, your point you were making earlier. And then, and then some brands are out there and they're going to be more, you know, if they're, if you're like, if they're engaging in like content commerce, I mean, there's going to be a social component, but very probably that's going to, that's going to lead the customer is going to have an experience um, you know, possibly in store, you know, it could be a, an omni-channel experience. They, they know the brand, what it's like to walk in the store. They know what it's like to work with the brand in an online context. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you absolutely have to get to know your customer there and know exactly who they are, what they need, what they don't, and really kind of understand yourself as a business and make sure that you're not, you're not pretending to be anything that, you know, other than what you are. So I would say there, you, the, you know, the, the balance kind of tips more into making sure that 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 web property is really, really well built out mm. and distinct, easy to use, which, mm. you know, I think there's also not necessarily a universal definition around that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would imagine the best opportunity to have 
a unique non-homogenous experience would be at the top of the funnel. Awareness and discovery, um, th- that stage. Because once you get to a checkout experience, a fulfilment experience, a returns experience, you want that to be seamless and familiar and follow follow a path that I'm used to. So I think that that, you know, that discovery and awareness stage of, of the funnel is where there's a real opportunity to be different. And after that, you kind of want to bring it back to what's normal, what are people used to doing? Yeah, it's a great response, guys. Thanks. It, it <clears throat> kind of leads us into the next question because yep. um, you had mentioned website and that yep. you, you should put your focus there. Uh, react to this statement here. The web has become boring and dull uh, and the mobile responsive web is partially to blame. In my early days, I would literally get a Photoshop like comp, start slicing it up, hand code the uh, hand code the HTML as, as much as I needed to, and get those those assets in there. And um, so I'm, I was really familiar. Then all of a sudden, responsive came around, and and you have because you do you have this re- realization that like oh wow, more and more people are engaging from devices that are not like literally a desktop mm-hmm. machine. But now we've kind of it, it can be done well and it can be done poorly, but what annoys me is when people haven't gone to the effort and looked at, okay, let's pull up our site on, you know, a few devices here. Let's make sure we got the breakpoints set correctly. And then, but then I, and then I go and I'm on my, my work, uh, my, I take my laptop, plug it into my docking station. And I've got, you know, like, like two feet, like wide of monitor space and boy, that'll really blow up some of these layouts and you can see like where they didn't test things. Mm. Now it's tough to solve for, uh, it has been tough to solve for because there's so many different form factors out there. Mm-hmm. And then if you're, if you are trying to work with a platform, so, you know, like a platform, like the company I work for, we, 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 we build out the, the basically everything for this interface, but then you have to go and, and, and take the design and bring that in. Right. And, and make sure that that the your design concepts sort of are, are, are melded with you know, basically our our page structure. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we give a lot of tools and, and pretty much every platform has to give a lot of uh, capacity, a lot of room to, to build what people need there. Um, but this is this is one of the this is one of the dark corners of the industry that that is just it's it is amazing to me how frequently even even experiences with large brands who I know have invested buku bucks in their in their experience that you can you can find you can find some some instances where that that experience really breaks down and and then it's like you know I'm like I'm on my I'm on my basically my desktop and I want a desktop experience I don't want the mobile interface I remember when in my early 20s I was uh, trying to make money to buy a house. And one of the things I learned was how to build a website. And what did I use? Squarespace. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the tools, a lot of the homogenization, I would put some of the blame on these tools like Squarespace and Wix and WordPress and Webflow, so on and so forth, because the barrier, they reduce the barrier to entry. Anybody can now create a website, which is phenomenal. It's great. It's democratized the the ability to create a website, launch an e-com store. But it's also the side effect is... (laughs) <laughs> that now a lot of the websites, they're built off a template. So they just naturally have the same look and feel. And I would add to that, I, because I do believe this is this is contributing to the homogenization problem. And I would add to that other tools like Fiverr and um, Upwork, for example, because if I'm launching a brand, I may not be able to afford 
you know, research and development like Coke can on maybe uh, mm. one of their innovations. And so I'm going to go to Fiverr, I'm going to go to Upwork. And those folks uh, contribute to the problem as well because they're trying to optimize their workflow so that they can make as much money as possible, so they can make a living. If you go to a site that's like clearly a Squarespace template, does that change your behavior as a consumer? Consciously, no. Like I don't have an issue. I, I don't think it minimizes <clears throat> my perception of the brand. I want to say, I want to answer that way. Maybe it has subconsciously, um, but I will say that the, the effect is that it doesn't stand out or it doesn't help you stand out. And so back to a previous conversation that we had, you're going to have to look at maybe somewhere else to differentiate if you don't have the chops to yeah. put into R&D and develop something that's unique uh, on your website. And so you're going to have to, you are going to have to maybe differentiate somewhere else in the funnel and on a different channel. Um, so yeah, interesting question. I think it definitely contributes to the boredom that we experience online. A lot of these, uh, <laughs> you know, templates and mobile responsive tools. I think other tools and other websites like Fiverr, Upwork also contribute to that. And I would say Dribble as well mm. contributes to this. Dribble and Behance because all the designers are looking at the same place. I, I was going to say something similar on visual design as well. Remember Millennium, Millennial Pink? was the shade of like peachy pink that was just, it was just, I think we're kind of getting over it now, but it was just everywhere. And then there was also that style of photography that was like really high flash, like lots of, lots of uh, um, drop shadow yeah. on, on products yeah. as well. And it was just everywhere. There's a woman in this industry, like she calls out a lot of these like overused trends. Yeah. She's like, Come on, let's be creative. Like she's actually, I think, a, a change agent in this in this whole business for like saying, "Hey, figure out how to be original and just you know build the build the packaging, build the experience that your consumers want." It tells me that whatever I'm buying from that website is overpriced. <laughs> That's one way. I guess so, that is a brand. I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but once something becomes popular, it loses its uniqueness. Yes. And that's, that's the challenge all the time is you set out, you build your mood board, yep. and you're going to go to other brands. And you build your brand, your mood board off of other brands, and naturally it's just yes. going to lead to more of the same. This podcast is brought to you by Shopware. Shopware is an e-commerce hub that allows you to offer relevant, compelling experiences for your consumers and your back office team. The open source core and the open commerce approach allows brands to build however they want. Turnkey, headless, PWA, or any combination thereof, thanks to the all sales channels welcome approach. Shopware creates the most engaging experiences imaginable, from B2B and B2C to multi-store and guided shopping. And Shopware features a worldwide ecosystem of developers, agencies, and technology partners. Find out more at shopware.com fc. That's shopware.com slash FC. One of the conversations in our main main session was about building in public. Mm -hmm. And so these, especially it happens with, with D2C brands, is building in public and, and so then they're just, okay, they're, they're doing really well. They just raise a lot of money. That's the style that I want to go after. And so it just becomes a... Yeah, a pretty unoriginal frame yeah, of reference. Totally. And, and maybe <clears throat> to maybe for, for people who are listening who are maybe looking for some solutions, not doom and gloom, but <laughs> if you are building a mood board and you have to rely on a tool like Squarespace and you have to look at templates when you're building a Shopify template or whatever, 
when you're building your mood board for the look and feel, maybe don't go look at other brands. Look at, look for, for analogies in design. So rent a Verbo or an Airbnb like the one we're in today. Walk around, look at the artwork, and maybe take, take some pictures and then build your mood, mood board off of things that are maybe uh, real-life stuff instead of other websites. And, and then <clears throat> you're probably going to end up at somewhere where maybe it's very extreme and very, very different. And then work your way back until you're comfortable with the it's distinctive enough, but it's also like familiar enough. Um, that might be something that I would think through. Well, and I, th- I think, I actually, I think what you're getting at, really the, the implicit advice you're giving here is like, don't do what your competitors or other people yeah. in your category are doing. Mm-hmm. Do, do things differently yeah. from the start and you will, you, will more, you will be more likely to have a less, you know, boring, yeah. uh, homogenized experience. Do you think also part of the reason why we're seeing homogeneity is because there's so much data from A-B testing and like those, you know, CRO best practices? Are we, <laughs> are we just kind of like yeah. just going with CRO at the expense of anything interesting and new? Oh, that R is pretty important, isn't it? Like, you know, just making, making, so anything, anything that people can tie to like, oh, we, we, we move this needle, we change this color, we push this button here, we change this text and look, average order value went up, conversions went up or, you know, the other direction. But yeah, I mean, this is, I've been talking about this trend in our, in our industry for years because like when, you know, well, it was Urchin, Urchin Analytics and then it eventually became Google Analytics. Um, you know, I remember the early days of, you know, first AB testing and then multivariate testing and, uh, and, and it's it's really really cool. But what the trend I noticed was that okay, so some brand, especially coming kind of kind of coming from the open source space, that's actually where a lot of like people just do they can throw spaghetti at the wall because you can iterate really quickly. You can just try like the strangest ideas, and like nineteen out of twenty complete like don't make a difference or actually contribute negatively to your uh, to your bottom line. But then there's like one thing that's like. Wow, that really made it. But and, and so that's a really cool. You are now an innovative brand for about three months, and then and then because th- as that experience gets out, more and more, more and more brands and and platforms will build that experience up, mm. and 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 throw that, and then and so you have this, you have this like ever tightening spiral of like test optimize, mm. test optimize, test optimize, and that's got us at, to, as an as an industry as an industry to where we are, mm. but it has made things a bit consistent, you know, because we know what these best practices are. I'd love to ask you a question because you're an Amazon expert. Yeah. That is probably one of the uglier sites on the, on, on the internet, yeah. but it's worked so well for them. Yeah. How do you... What do you think keeps them so restrained from adopting maybe other like uh, um, mm-hmm. conversion rate optimization techniques mm-hmm. um, that maybe have more to do with visual identity and changing mm-hmm. the layer of the page that would maybe appease some of the designers who crap on them yeah. all the time? But how do you think they have so much restraint to keep it ugly and functioning? Yeah, well, it's it's a really interesting question. I think it's the alt. What we're talking about is form versus function, and Amazon is. All form, all function, yeah. <laughs> um, all function, and so they they don't they don't. It's not really in their DNA to think about you know innovative design um, or creating a non-homogenous experience. It's really moving people fr- through the stages of the funnel and providing a great a, a shopping experience that's seamless and delivers what what people want. 
and to be the world's most customer friendly company. So it's just it, it that there's so, if we talk about a scale here of innovative, non homogenous, groundbreaking. Yeah. We've got Amazon on the other end of the scale and that's who, that's who they are and that's what they're there for. We don't go to Amazon to be inspired. And they're actually, what's quite interesting is they're trying to do more of that. They're trying to do a bit more discovery and that's why they're bringing in um, capabilities like live stream video mm. and they're doing more with influencers actually. They're bringing influencers in that will have a shop-in shop and like they're part of the affiliate program. And so they're actually creating content for Amazon. But it, it, it's still very early days with that and then experimenting with that top of funnel. But what, you know, what Amazon is there for is mid-bottom of funnel, yeah. they, they, uh, they tra- um, pa- patented the one-click checkout. Like those, those are all things that are just so much ones and zeros and not really focused on um, yeah a non-homogenous experience at all. On my previous platform, literally the day that that patent expired, one of our partner agencies literally hit our main repository with a pull request that basically added one-click checkout to the platform. Would you say that they're learning from platforms maybe over in China, like uh, looking at like Alibaba and Tmall and looking at how like live shopping, social shopping yeah. is, is... Well, that certainly came from China yeah. and hugely successful there. So yeah. I think so. But what I can also say is the point about A-B testing and CRO, the constant tests and changes that we see. Moving the the add to cart button slightly over here, changing the order of the content, giving brands more or less like <clears throat> image slots, yep. adding video, and and so we're we're seeing that has evolved over time, um, and and I think it's you know pretty singular focus on the customer experience with the lens of purchases. I think some marketers and some founders when they set out to build their brand they look at the visual identity of other brands and they think that's a conversion op- rate optimization technique. I think I said that right. Yep. But they look at, they look, they all look this way. So that must work. Let me copy them in this. Let me copy their visual identity. And I'm not sure. And again, if they're marketers listening, I'm not sure that that's the right technique to copy. I would copy their other techniques, maybe placement of stuff, but your visual identity is one way in, in, in a world where all brands look the same and they feel the same when you go on the website, try and stand out. Like you said, at the top of the funnel, that might not be the technique to copy to improve your conversion rate. You may want to use your visual identity as a differentiation uh, to help your brand. I, I can, yes, I can agree with that. Assume that the success of Shopify has both helped and harmed the growth of e-commerce. Can you give some ex- some supporting examples of both? Uh, I'll throw it to you first because I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, given again, given your your focus, how you see how you see Shopify sort of, you know, as a in, in a way, it's a marketplace for brands to build their commerce experiences. Mm. Well, it certainly democratized access to creating a a, a a home for a brand that's brought up the same challenges that you mentioned, Roger, around these Squarespace sites look the same because they're template driven. Um, so what it, I don't think it's a fair comparison to say are we better off with a lot of options and 
more democratised access to building something like that or would we be better off with less accessibility? I don't really think it's a fair comparison because the cream will rise to the top. (laughs) If it's a great product or if it's a great brand or if it's great design, you can compete on all of those things but opening up access to more... Yeah, democratizing access, I think, allows everyone to to compete. Anytime you lower the barrier, mm. you flood now with new competitors. Mm. And it's not even just direct competitors. Like, mm. it's, like if I'm a watch company, I'm not just competing against your watch company. Now I'm competing against that person's new shoe brand and that person's board shorts and that person's necklace because you have so many dollars to spend and you're going to spend it on one of these products. You may not be purchasing a watch. You may be purchasing an outfit and you're going to decide between the watch and the bracelet. And now I got to compete with the bracelet. And because it's so easy for you to set up your bracelet shop, now I got a whole new set of competitors that I have to worry about. And again, anytime you lower the barrier to entry, it just floods the competition and you just have more to think about now, more alternative for those dollars that were going to be spent on your brand. I mean, for me, there's a bit of an ideological battle that happens between sort of on-prem, fully customizable platforms like Shopware. And then, you know, there's a couple of things I like about Shopify is because of their outsized effect that they have when they do things like, you know, for their partner ecosystem where they basically said, hey, that rev share on your, your integration, you know, the first million dollars is yours. That actually resets the expectation across the whole platform industry. Mm-hmm. So that I think they, they, have, they have the power to do really, really interesting things. I can hear merchant requirements and usually within about 30 seconds, I'm already like, Nope, you should use Shopify. If you don't have the resources for the care and feeding and you don't have the imperative to have these really custom experiences, like, because you're just starting out, you don't really know yourself yet and you surely don't know your customer yet. Start safe Mm -hmm. and then grow from there. Like step up to the next ship as you become more sophisticated. This episode is brought to you by Klaivu. Klaivu captures e-commerce shoppers' intent and then leverages AI to create personalized search and discovery experiences that allow your brand to go beyond keywords typed into the search box. Klaivu's end-to-end search and discovery solution is easy to configure, optimize, and maintain for all major shopping platforms in just hours. Klaivu's proprietary technology is driving traffic and conversion and loyalty for over 3,000 leading global brands. Check them out today at Klevu, that's K-L-E-V-U dot com. Visions is brought to you by Yakpo, an e-commerce marketing platform that helps online businesses win customers for life with interconnected solutions for reviews, SMS marketing, loyalty programs, and more. With Yakpo, brands like Steve Madden, Brooklinen, Quip, and Love Wellness are able to create innovative experiences that boost customer loyalty and repeat purchases. Join Yotpo in keeping commerce on the cutting edge by downloading the Visions report today. Visit yotpo.com slash visions. That's Y-O-T-P-O dot com slash visions. That D2C brand native deodorant, this was how they were extremely successful was to do an upsell at the the very end stage of checkout. So you would just get an upsell and they were extremely successful with that. And that doesn't come out of the box with Shopify. They used a third-party app for that. 
that was a huge driver of their growth. Just using Shopify checkout solution that wasn't offered natively. And so you kind of end up with this, like you said, it's a familiar experience. You've got your credit card details saved in there. It's good. It feels safe but there's not really any room for imagination in there. The whole industry is kind of converging on the balance between um, like convenience uh, and customization. Mm-hmm. In their case, they've uh, recently, within the last several months, released a lot more capability for developers and agencies to, to customize the front end, the customer experience. That actually puts them a bit far away from their, I think, original mission of like, hey, let's make it pretty easy and bulletproof. Uh, because once you start building these custom interfaces that are completely disconnected from the back end, well, all of a sudden you're, you're now getting kind of bound in context to the agency doing the implementation uh, and, and, you know, and everything else. But I think it's very telling that they went to the effort to release this capability. And they also think it's important for brands to be able to differentiate not just even the front end experience. It's also what's happening in the back office. We're pointing out a lot of the problem, but there was a solution that you just gave to differentiation. And that's if you are using Shopify or if you're using another tool that's templated, you can differentiate on the plugins that you use. That is an opportunity for you to differentiate. Look at the plugins, look at the add-ons that you can throw into your website. Uh, That may be an opportunity for you to provide something different. The Visions podcast is brought to you by Future Commerce. You can find more episodes of this podcast and all Future Commerce properties at futurecommerce.fm. Download our 100-page companion guide on cultural and consumer trends by visiting visions.report. That's visions.report.